CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. It's the last Friday in July already, so you know what that means. It's time for Options Action. We've got a big show lined up for you. Here's what's ahead. What global recovery? And here we are. Carter Worth explains how the land of the rising sun could signal the sun is actually setting on any real bright spots. Then, as the song goes, it's a small world after all. Things do not bode well. Tony Zhang demonstrates how it could get even smaller for Disney. Plus, even if our world right now is confined to getting takeout and eating on the couch. This is an interesting situation. Mike Coe thinks Uber could still be the way to go. It's time to risk less and make more. Options Action starts right now. And we begin tonight with breaking news. Let's get right to Julia Borston. Julia. James Murdoch resigning from News Corp's board of directors. He sends a letter to the board saying that his resignation is due to disagreements over certain editorial content published by the company's news outlets and certain other strategic decisions. That's um, in his letter that is submitted to the board that's included in the SEC filing disclosing this change to the company's board. Pretty notable move um, really speaks to the split between, you know, within that Murdoch family um, over some of the political content uh, of News Corp. Back over to you. And we know, Julia, that already there is this family rift between James and his wife and his brother Lachlan over climate change denialism that has been put forth by Fox News and some of the other outlets. So this was not entirely a surprise in terms of this division. Perhaps not entirely your surprise. James Murdoch has donated to um, Vice President Biden's um, campaign fund. And also he's been investing in a number of startups around the world, specifically in India, also in some um, been really backing some climate change initiatives, as you mentioned. All right. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston, Mike Coe, comment on News Corp. Yeah, so, uh, you know, one of the things that News Corp, of course, is, is contending with isn't just what's going on in their news department, but, you know, obviously they have some challenges in other areas of their business, including issues related to sports that are just a byproduct of the, of the pandemic. And, of course, there is a business implication. You wouldn't normally think that the board of directors would be weighing in so heavily on issues related to content, but advertisers also get a say in all of this. So that has an implication. We've actually seen some news about that. So I'm not sure that his resignation basically puts an end to this dispute. Hmm. Other shareholders may also share some similar concerns as well. All right. Let's move on here. U.S. stocks continuing their rally this week as investors also eye a global recovery. But Carter says there's one stock market abroad that really tells the truth about the world economy. So, Carter, what is it and what's it telling us? All right. We'll get to a few charts in a second. But here we are. And today we made record low yields on the 10-year. Yes, we were lower on that plunge low of early March, as low as 31 base points, but we have a record closing low. Um, And what does that say when, again, this week it was all the same thing? Energy down on the week, materials down on the week, industrials, financials, all down on the week with the same uh, big five or 10 driving all the results. Let's look at a few things and talk about Japan. So here's the first slide, and I've just written here, global recovery, question mark. And I would point out, and if one was looking yesterday and last night, there was a complete breakdown in the Topex machinery index. I mean, literally a collapse. And uh, what's important about that, if you look at the next slide of the bullet points I've written here, 
the Japanese stock market tells the truth, I put that in quotes, and what we know is that Japan is so dependent on the world for growth, right? It has no internal growth. And, and what we're seeing and hearing here from the, uh, the Topex Machinery Index is that it's not uh, all very good. Uh, take a look at the next chart. This is a comparative chart of the S&P and the Nikkei. And you very correlated, and then you can see this divergence. Well, again, this week, Nippon missed. I mean, massive uh, industrial conglomerate. We know that Sumitomo Heavy Industries missed. We know that Komatsu, Caterpillar's big competitor, missed. Panasonic, um, really not good. Uh, now, a few charts. Take a look at the EWJ. This is the ETF that uh, tracks the Nikkei or the Topax. And you can see here the well-defined downtrend line in effect for the past year. And EWJ, every time it has gotten up to that trend line, it has hit its head to the penny. And in fact, it did it just a week or so ago. And so one, two more charts. Take a look at the next one. This is a little uh, tighter, a little up close. And what we know is we have a double top, meaning uh, the EWJ couldn't even get above its June high. So we have a July peak that's uh, actually in line with the June peak, a little lower. And then the final chart I've drawn here, we're hovering ominously right at the intermediate lows uh, that have been in effect. So poor relative performance, diverging from the S&P, major uh, trading companies in Japan coming out with very bad uh, earnings. And it speaks to the question of, is there a global recovery? All right, Mike, what's the trade off the back of that? Yeah, I mean, so one of the things, we take a look at some of the top constituents in EWJ. Some of these are well-known names worldwide when we think about it. And it's easy to imagine that some of these are going to be negatively affected by what's going on. I'm talking now about Toyota Motor. I'm talking about Mitsubishi. I'm talking about Honda. You might say, oh, well, there's a SoftBank in there. There's a Nintendo in there. Maybe they're immune. But, you know, that actually represents the minority when you think about it. And you really have to think about the broader index here and the hazards uh, that they might be facing and the signs that we're seeing from other companies that are in that group that have already reported. Now, if we take a look at the volatility on the EWJ right now, this was typically a very low volatility index, much like the S&P was before everything that we've seen. It was about 11 or 12 percent. It then spiked, of course, along with the rest of the volatility in the markets globally in February and March up to about 45 and it has come back somewhat but it is still quite elevated right now about 21 percent nearly double what it was historically also the EWJ is not trading at its all-time highs and for both of these reasons I think it might make sense to use a put spread here normally when Carter gives a technical view I like to look out 60 to 90 days but here given the weakness and the fact that it's rolling over I'm actually looking a little bit shorter dated than that out to September the 54 50 put spread when I was looking at that earlier today, you could spend about $1.50 for the 54s, sell the other ones against it. Net, net, you're going to be spending about $0.95. Cents. That's slightly less than 25% of the distance between the strikes. Also, it is less than 2% of the underlying, and it's going to break even at 53.05 to the downside. So not a big move would be required to see this thing go in the money. And the idea of using a slightly shorter day to put spread here is that if it does roll over sharply, you know, you won't necessarily see it go right to the maximum value that's spread. The shorter dated it is, the more of that value you're likely to capture. So I think that's probably the way you want to play it here, a little bit shorter dated than we might normally use on Carter's technical setup. But, you know, this is a trade where you can risk less than 2% to make your bearish bet. Tony, what do you think of this trade? Yeah, I quite like this trade because there are quite a bit, number of concerns out of Japan 
you have a rising number of COVID-19 cases over the past few weeks, and you couple that with what has been relatively soft economic numbers, both from an employment perspective, sentiment in both manufacturing and services industries looking still particularly weak. So I think the risks here are skewed to the downside, especially when you couple them with Carter's charts, where the relative performance here has been particularly weak. And Mike's trade here, I think Mike has, the, in my opinion, the right trade structure because EWJ still hasn't broken below that $54 support level that Carter pointed out. So a debit spread like this is the right strategy, I think, to play for that potential breakout. As Mike said, it's only risking less than 2% of the ETS value with almost a 3 to 1 risk to reward ratio. Those are the types of setups that I like for these types of debit spreads. All right. Well, we may have just closed out the biggest week of earnings season, but it is far from over yet. Names like Take-Two, Activision, Blizzard, Beyond Meat, Square gearing up to report next week. But Tony says there is one name on deck that may lose its magic on the results. So, Tony, what are you looking at? Yeah, I'm looking at Disney going into earnings next week. Now, while I'm fairly long-term bullish here on this particular stock, I think that the risks are here are skewed to the downside for Disney next week. And my views are predominantly driven by the fact that we know there's going to be a significant decline from theme park revenue. We know that the media and studio division is going to be relatively soft. And then you have the Disney Plus side, which we know is the only part of this business that is growing. But the numbers for Q2 hasn't looked particularly attractive here. So for those reasons, I'm not particularly strong on this earnings report. And if you look at the chart here, Disney, when they reported that when they announced Disney Plus, the stock rallied up to the 128 level, which is a pretty important level because it acted as support for quite some time before breaking below that during coronavirus. It came back to retest that level, as Carter would say, to the penny and got rejected here in June and is trading lower since then. But the real story is the underperformance here of Disney stock compared to the communications sector. It actually printed a new low relative to the sector here today. So if you couple that poor relative strength with the fact that you've had relatively weak guidance here over the past couple of weeks from analysts, I actually think that you have a potential miss here for earnings next week. Now, the options are implying a pretty big move here, about 5.8% compared to the average of about 2.8 over the last four quarters. So options market are implying a pretty big move. So the trade structure that I'm looking to use to play this is similar to Mike's where I'm going out to August, a very relatively short dated option, and I'm buying the 115-105 put vertical here, paying about $3.85 for the August 115 puts and collecting about $0.95 cents for the August 105 puts. Net net here paying about $2.90, which is only about 2.5% of the underlying stock price. And I purposely chose a relatively short dated option because the goal of this trade is simply to trade the binary event of the, op of the announcement. I'm looking to get into this trade maybe on Monday and probably exit this trade by next Friday. Carter, your take on Disney. Well, I mean, you just heard a, a, a perfect uh, characterization of the chart, both absolute and relative. I have a chart here of Disney, and what, what we know is that, uh, take a look at the picture here. This is a well-defined series of lower highs and higher lows working into the apex, and that happens before news comes out, and then you get a resolution. Bulls will make the case that it breaks to the upside. I think it's going to break to the downside. And Tony talked about relative performance. Disney's relative performance to the S&P is not only making a 52-week low, it is making seven-year relative lows. Wow. And with the COVID news, I mean, what is it that's going to make this thing take off? I, I'm, I'm betting against Disney. Mike, your take on the trade. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I like the trade, and I'm definitely not bullish Disney here. I mean, we, we're talking about that relative weakness, but I think it's important to point out that just in terms of valuation at a $270 billion enterprise value, and that number might surprise some people, but of course they've taken on a little bit of debt since all of this began. So the actual valuation of the business might not be as cheap as you would think. It was probably at its peak around $318, $320 billion. So, of course, it is trading at a lower valuation, but just consider that virtually every aspect of their business is being severely impacted by what's going on, except for Disney+, Plus, as Tony pointed out. And, of course, as good as that is, it's not enough to make up for all of the other things that are going on here. Yeah. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Coming up, Mike Coe has a way for you to share a ride on Uber. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. If you thought the earnings train was slowing down, think again, because things are just getting started. What if next week's marquee attractions will be Uber's earnings report? And despite everything the company has faced this year, shares remain in positive territory. But instead of hitting the gas when the rideshare company's results cross the wire, Mike Coe says the stock might be gearing up for a breakdown. Here's his call to action. Mike, take it away. Yeah, so this is an interesting situation. Probably somewhat unsurprisingly, the options market's implying a move of about 9%. But as you pointed out, the stock is still higher on the year. This is pretty extraordinary when you consider not only everything that's going on. We talk about the shutdown's impacts on a lot of businesses, but that assumes that the company didn't have other issues that it was facing ahead of this, which it certainly is. Big negative cash flow certainly being one of those issues that they're uh, facing, and that would be a reason to be bearish antitrust concerns. We have the litigation that's going on in the state of California with respect to their employees. So if you have a neutral to bearish view on the stock, then you might be looking at trying to put on a position here. But the thing to be uh, cognizant of is that, of course, that high implied move suggests that options prices are high. So we have elevated volatility. And so one of the things you want to take a look at going into a catalyst such as earnings when you see that are ways that you can capitalize on the elevated options premium and take a neutral to bearish view. I was looking at selling a call spread, specifically the August 30 and a half, 31 and a half call spread. I could collect about 40 cents, 40% of the distance between the strikes to sell that call spread going into earnings. And the idea here is that if the stock stays here, that is going to come in somewhat. And if it stays below that level through August expiration, I'm going to collect all of that premium. If it declines, obviously I could collect that premium much more quickly. If the stock does somehow come out with a positive surprise and go higher, it's probably not going to go all the way to the full dollar value. So it isn't as if you're just simply in the short term risking 60 to make 40 cents. In fact, it'll probably stay somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 cents if it went all the way through. So this is a situation where three things can happen. Two of them are good. And of course, if it does rally, it's a lot less risky than shorting the stock would be. And if you went out and simply bought a put, you are going to spend quite a lot to do that. I was looking, for example, at the at the money, the September 30 
uh, puts were costing about $1.75, a significant portion of the stock price. And you therefore would need something big to happen to see a profit on a bearish bet. Here, you don't need to. Tony, what do you think of this trade? So I think this Uber uh, earnings announcement is going to be an interesting one because the primary focus here is going to be on Uber Eats, which clearly has grown a little faster than expected due to COVID-19. But it is a much substantially smaller size part of the business. It's also a lower margin business. And most importantly, it's a really competitive market that's really difficult to gain any market share. And the only way to do so is to acquire companies. And that's why Uber went after going, uh, going after Postmates. So I don't, I'm not particularly strong here on this particular earnings cycle, but I do think that one of the best parts about this trade is Mike's trade because he's collecting 40% of the width on a credit spread like this. Normally when you're selling a credit spread, you're looking to collect about 33%. So the fact that he's able to collect 40% gives you a fair amount of edge. And as Mike said, that even if the trade goes against you, you're not risking closer to 60 cents, it's really closer to 40 cents. So you have a one-to-one risk to reward ratio with a better uh, probability of profit than 50%. So I like this type of trade. Carter, how does this look to you? Well, I mean, there's a technical expression, the stock doesn't act well. Uh, people understand that when a pitcher is not doing well or a player, and that's what this is. I mean, down three of the past weeks, down five of the last eight, it's heavy. I mean, this stock, two things, it dropped 67% on this March low. It's not for the faint of heart. And then there's also the problem that its first day of trading was its best day, back May 10th of 2019. It's never gone above its IPO price. I don't like it. Excitement about eats, though. That's a good point, Mike. Yeah, yeah, I think that is a good point. But that is also one of the issues that's bringing up some of the antitrust concerns. I mean, you, ha- you have this situation where you know, everything that's going on and whether it's a necessary service, they're probably not going to get out of the way of that. And there is something else that we didn't even bother to mention, which is this is one of the companies that has been trying to get into autonomous vehicles. But, you know, this is an expensive, a capital-intensive type of business. And, of course, they're facing stiff competition from a lot of quarters in that area. And it's not clear to me that with their current cash position and their negative cash flow that they can keep all of these things up, acquiring businesses, embarking on autonomous vehicles, and keeping all of their other businesses going when their top-line revenues are dropping. It's a very bad recipe. You have to, Something's going to have to give at some point. All right. Coming up, shares of Boeing hitting some turbulence this month, but that's good news for one of our traders. We'll tell you why. Plus, we're taking your tweets to send us your questions at Options Action. We'll answer some of them on air. We are back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at our open trades. Last week, Cohen Carter went out to paint the town green. Going back to the beginning of data in 1985, Sherwin versus the S&P, you're talking about a six-fold increase over the general market. Now take a look at the next chart if I introduce the NASDAQ 100. Now we know these are the, this is Apple, right, Microsoft. Sherwin is even beating the NASDAQ 100. I was actually looking out to September. You could buy the 620, 680 call spread, spending $26 for those 620s and selling the 680s against it for six for a net price of $20 per share. Well, Sherwin-Williams jumped nearly 5% this week. So, Mike, what are you doing? 
Yeah, it was a great call by Carter, I have to say. And it worked out nicely, too, for us on the options side because it didn't run through that short strike that we have. But the thing is, we got the move we were looking for. So at this point, I think now that we have it well in the money, it probably makes sense to take our profits and move on. What happens next with the stock, Carter? Well, that's right. I mean, obviously, there are two ways to approach a winner. If you're there for a specific event, in this case, earnings and a specific chart setup, we were. Um, is it uh, cause this point to maybe move on? I, th I think so. It was a big week for sure. When it was a big week for housing stocks in general, as we know, rate environment continues to favor uh, this group over many other groups. But um, there will be other plays. I think take the money and run. All right. Meantime, Tony said Boeing could be in for some post-earnings turbulence. If you look at the relative performance to its sector, it's really starting to consider to underperform here over the past few weeks. So you couple the estimate revisions with the underperformance we're seeing against the sector. Those are really typically the things I look for for a potential miss here on earnings. I'm going out to the August 28th weekly options and I'm selling the 180 195 call spread. I'm collecting about 14 and a half dollars for the 180 calls and I'm paying about nine dollars and ten cents for the 195s. Boeing's down about 8% since that trade. So, Tony, what do you do now? Yeah, so if you sold this call spread on Monday, you would have collected roughly $5 in, in credits. Now, earlier today, I was trading about $1.65, which means that you would have collected about 65% of your max gain. Our rule of thumb on these types of credit spreads is usually once you collect more than 50% of the max gain and you still have left more than three weeks left to go, it's time to take profits. So I think as of earlier today, you would have collected about 65% of those gains. Take those profits. I do think there's further downside here for Boeing and some of the airlines. So I would roll these profits potentially into buying some puts. Yeah. What do you think about that, Mike? Yeah, I agree. I mean, the weakness, I think, is likely to continue, I mean, for them. So it does make sense to when you have the right trade on to take your profits in a credit spread like this because there isn't that much left in it. And obviously, if you want to press a bearish bet because the thesis remains intact, what Tony's suggesting makes a great deal of sense. All right. Up next, we got your tweets and the final call. Welcome back to Options Action. Time for a tweet. Uh, one viewer asks, what is the best way to manage in-the-money options when you're the seller? For example, yesterday I sold the Apple 405 call that expired today for credit. The rest is history, and it was a tough loss. How would you have handled this? Mike, some advice. Yeah, so two quick things about this, and I think they're both important. Selling naked options obviously exposes you to unlimited risk, so you might want to consider selling credit spreads instead. And in this instance, you only had one day to expiration anyway. There was nothing you could do but take the pain and move on and know to sell credit spreads instead of naked options the next time. Ouch. Good advice, though. Time for the final call here. Last word from the options pits. Carter Worth. Well, I don't like Japan. BlackRock's iShares, Japan ETFs, symbol EWJ were sellers. Tony Zhang. Disney lost its magic this quarter by a put vertical spread going into earnings. Mike Co. Yeah, taking a look at Carter's EWJ thesis, I agree with it fundamentally. It looks like trouble, and I think the best way to play that is using put spreads. I was looking at September, the 5450. All right, that does it for us here on Options Action. We'll see you next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time for another show. Don't go anywhere. Summer school is in session.
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.